for any that will be joining this preaching sermon. You might want to consider some of the things that we've already considered this morning. And that is to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and we just had a young man present Psalm 77 to us, and to look at that psalm and see the cure for human despondency and diffidence in considering the works and wonders of the Most High. Remember the 10th verse, brothers with me, this is my infirmity. Excellent job, Matthew. Well done. Everyone should have benefited from that effort. But Asaph didn't have what we have. He didn't have a New Testament in his Bible. He only had 39 books, and he didn't even have them. He only had a few books of the, of the Old Testament, which was to be put together after him. And we have the New Testament, and the greatest works and wonders and marvels of God are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen whom we know by name and know the details of his life and ministry through the Gospel of John and other New Testament writings. So we want to turn to John chapter 6. Thank you, Zach, for your prayer. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Newell. Lord, have mercy upon us and bless us in your scriptures. Amen. The Lord, at the last minute, changed my plan. For today, I had told you that we would cover from verses 30, verse 37 through verse 59. Forget it. That was a little too ambitious. Let's see if we can cover 37 through 45 in both services. Because there's so much in those nine verses. I do not want to rush through them. So let me read these nine verses to you. I am overwhelmed with the first six, and can hardly get past them in studying the passage. But let's start and read, let me read these nine verses to you. John chapter 6, verse 37 through 45. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Amen. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Amen and amen. amen. I speak to an audience 
where most, by your profession and your lives, have come to Christ. You've seen him, you've believed on him, you've come to him. It proves everything before verses 44 and 45, that the Father gave you to Christ, that Christ gave you eternal life, that you have been drawn and regenerated, that you have been converted and come and seen and believed on him, and you will be raised up in the last day, because we can read these things plainly in this passage. I gave you last night in your preparation a simple verse that many of us learned when we were children. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have earned, we have well earned the wages of death. We all deserve the physical death that we're in the process of dying. We deserve the spiritual death that we were conceived in, and we deserve the second death or eternal death in the lake of fire. We deserve those things. We earned them. But God has given a gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. I then turned you to this passage, and I would like you to turn to it with me. John chapter 17 and verse 2. John 17 and verse 2. Let me get the context. This is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is truly the Lord's prayer because it's the Lord praying before his crucifixion. Verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Amen and amen. Amen. Father, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. How did Jesus glorify God? He died a substitutionary death on the cross to save every single one without a loss of those God gave him to save, that they might know him, the only true God, the one that we we just heard about, the one that we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the world by wisdom knew not God. And, he, and God in his wisdom saw that they weren't going to know him. We were all gone astray. We were all out of the way. There was none seeking God or understanding. And so God had to change us by sending his son to die for us and give us eternal life. And eternal life is for the purpose of us knowing the only true God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why God saved us. He didn't save anyone because He felt sorry for them. He saved men to magnify Himself in the universe to the place of glory that He deserves. Never mistake and misunderstand that. Once you start down that path of God feeling sorry for sinners in hell, then you have to wonder about the doctrine of election. 
But if you understand that he came to save for his own glory and for his own purpose, election fits it perfectly. Because he needs demonstrable examples of both sides. His justice and righteousness upon the wicked and his mercy and his grace upon the elect. I did not say upon the righteous. I said upon the elect because he had to choose us and make us righteous. And that's the order that it occurs in. This verse, 2. Jesus praying to his Father, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. How many gifts are there in verse 2? There are three gifts, and I wouldn't want you to miss a single one of them. In Romans chapter 6, there's one gift, but that one gift is comprehensive of these gifts. Romans 6.23 says, the gift, singular, of God is eternal life. But when we look at this verse, there's three gifts. As thou hast given, that's a gift. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. We learned it in John chapter 5. We learned in John chapter 5, verses 20 through 30, approximately 21 through 30, that God gave Jesus total authority over life to give life to whomever he chose to give it to. Here's his words, Jesus' words. As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And as the Father quickeneth the dead, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. And hath given him all authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. And then Jesus, speaking to his enemies on trial for his life, explained what God gave him and said that there was a resurrection coming of damnation and of life. Everyone that wasn't God's elect and had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ would be raised, their bodies are going to be raised, their spirits reunited with their bodies and sent to everlasting torment in the lake of fire. But there would be a resurrection of life. And that is that the the bodies of the dead elect would be raised and joined with their spirits, and they would spend eternity in the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world, as Matthew 25 puts it. So Jesus has explained this, that all power was given to him over all men. And that's the first gift of John 17 too. As thou hast given him power, authority over all flesh. All humanity is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the great day when he sits in the throne of his glory, he will put some at his right hand, calling them sheep, and some will be at his left hand, called goats. And there is no operation of man anywhere at any age, by any means, that can turn a goat into a sheep. This is the work of God, and it is summarized for us in John chapter 6 and the nine verses I read to you. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, gift one, that he should give eternal life. Gift number two, Jesus Christ gives the gift of eternal life. He gives it legally by dying on the cross for us. He gives it vitally by speaking the word and regenerating us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he raises us up again in the last day by saying, come forth. And every body is going to come out of the ground, be reunited with their soul and spirit and spend eternity in heaven. He gives eternal life. He is eternal life. He has all the authority of life. He has all the power of life. And he gives eternal life for the third gift now. To whom does he give it? 
all those that thou hast given me, even as many as thou hast given me. Look at that second verse. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, God gave Jesus Christ such power, that's gift one, that he, Jesus Christ, should give eternal life, that's gift two. Number three, to as many as thou hast given him. As many as does not allow for one more or one less. It is the exact number of the elect. Not a single one will be lost and not a single reprobate will be added. And this is the work of God and it's called the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord in Romans 6. But this is it broken down. Now, after one verse breaking it down into three gifts, we can look at John chapter 6 and see all five phases in these nine verses of the great operation of God to save his people. All the operations of grace are here. All that the Father giveth me, what phase is that? The eternal phase of election. I will raise up at the last day, what phase of salvation? The final phase of glorification. Shall come to me. That's the vital phase of being regenerated and drawn. It's beautiful. It's all right here. They that see me and believe on me. There's the practical conversion that results from being taught of God in our inner man. And so we've gone from Romans 6.23, which is a short little statement, to a longer statement with three gifts in John 17.2. And now we're here in John 6. Get excited if you're not excited yet. Zach is. Matthew is. Many of you are. I could tell by your singing. I could tell by your joy this morning. Lord, bless us. Do you know David once had to pray, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation? Because he had lost it. The man after God's own heart had lost the joy of his salvation. The joy of God's redemptive work for us, which far exceeds anything Asaph described in Psalm 77. We really don't care that he divided the Red Sea for Israel to pass over in comparison to crossing the chasm between the lake of fire and heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ and grabbing a hold of us and bringing us over. You want to talk about a human bridge from nowhere to somewhere? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see him this morning? Do you believe on him? Lay hold of him. Don't let it just be mental assent to him. Love him. Run to him. Confess your sins. Tell him you owe him everything. Thank him for all that he's done, all that he is doing, all that he will do, as the Apostle Paul would. Lord, help us. I don't know how to preach, but help us understand these words. All that the Father giveth me. I told you that I'm overwhelmed with these words. This is the man, the mediator, Christ Jesus speaking, that when he was in this world, he had a list written, the Bible says so. I'm talking about his spiritual hands. Our names were engraved on the palms of his hands. Our names were written in the book of life. And what is that book called? The book of life of the lamb slain. It's the lamb's book. He has our names. He's had our names from the foundation of the world. Everything he did in his life. When he told his parents at the age of 12, I must be about my father's business. What business was that? Did it involve you? Did it involve me? It did. It was the business of redemption. Because it was the Father's will that sent him down to redeem each one of us, as we're going to read in the next two verses. I hope you've read enough to know that it's right there in our context. He had our names. 
all that the Father giveth me. He had an assignment. I have given you Jonathan Crosby, Jeff Oley, Newell Eastland, Matthew Eastland, his son. I have given you those four and a whole lot more. Look at the list. Lord Jesus, and go redeem them for me. And don't lose a single one. And he didn't lose a single one. And all the offerings of salvation are by Jesus Christ to God. And all the acceptance of salvation is by God accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ. There it's not, it's, an offer is not a gift, and a gift is not an offer. Though some of us older ones have heard so many Arminian stories that a gift and, the, and an offer are the same, but they are not. A gift is a bestowal of something upon you. An offer is just a possibility if you fulfill the necessary conditions. And we know, according to verse 44, that if there was the least condition put out there involving Christ, no man can come. So that's a hopeless gospel. The only gospel full of hope and joy is the one where God does the performing of conditions and God does the accepting of the conditions performed. And that's exactly how it went down 2,000 years ago. And he's still at the right hand of God and will always be at the right hand of God making intercession for us so that he is able to save to the uttermost. And it is not the right arm of Jonathan Crosby that's able to do anything. It is the right arm of our mighty God Jehovah through Jesus Christ who is his right arm, who is the surety of his power and who sits at his right hand that will save every single one of us without a loss according to the eternal will of God. This world did not come into, chance, into, into existence by chance. Our first parents did not sin in Eden by chance. God did not have to work up the Lord Jesus Christ as a remedy for a bad situation. Oh, he worked up the bad situation for his son to do something spectacular. Do you understand the difference? That is what makes us different. He worked up the fall. Do you think he could have put up a flaming cherub and kept the devil out of the Garden of Eden? Absolutely. Could he have? Why did he have to give Eve and, and Adam a commandment that they couldn't eat? Why did he just let them eat of every tree? Because he worked up the bad situation to send his son for the glory of himself. Amen. What if God, willing, hath not the potter power? You know the verses from Romans 9. And if God will slow down the sundial of Ahaz on the back wall, we will try to see some of those things today. I wish I knew how to preach it to you. It's terrifying to stand here and look at these verses and know what they know a little bit, a modicum of what they mean, and want to convey it to you in language that you can appreciate and embrace. But it's you know what? I've read the verses that should comfort me. And that is all the powers of the Spirit and of God Amen. and not of the man in the pulpit as Paul tried to make clear to us and he could have done right. so much better. It is a shame that some memorize verse 37 without that first clause. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. They're so infatuated with the second half of the verse. This is the way I was taught the verse in daily vacation Bible school in the summer. My brother learned it with me that John 6, 37b, they came up with an A-B system for verses. B was, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You know, that's kind of nice, but no one was coming in this passage. Right. But him that come, you know why that put, is put there? Just to aggravate their rebellion. Right. 
There was no hindering of eternal life on Jesus Christ's part. All the hindering of eternal life is on our part. And so that is stuck there for that, but we got to get to that in a moment. Let's, let's not, I don't want to leave all that the Father giveth me. I don't want to leave it. If we're still here at 1 o'clock this afternoon, and you're okay with it, I'll be okay with it. For, to think of the Lord Jesus Christ at Jacob's well, thinking all that the Father giveth me. He knew who was in the city of Sychar. He knew the woman that was there that came out to draw water. Do you understand? We learned in chapter 3 it was one man, Nicodemus. In chapter 4 it was one woman. We learned those things. He came after us. He's not going to lose a single one of us. Praise the Lord. All that the Father giveth me. What theological, soteriological point do those words teach? Election. What is election? God's choice of some to be saved. The word election isn't here. The word predestination isn't here. The word choice isn't here or chosen or any form of those words. But these words, all that the Father giveth me. And he's referring to persons. God gave persons. Is everyone going to be saved? No. Then there was a division made in the human race. Because all that will be saved were given to Christ by God. And that's election. Election is God's choice of whom will be saved. You say, well, that's not fair. I think it's whole. Thank you, blessed God, for being infinitely better than fair. Because if you had been fair, I'd be in verse 44. No man can come. But you weren't fair. You were gracious. And you sent Jesus Christ and you sent the Holy Spirit, and you drew me. Eternal life is a gift of God. Eternal life is a gift of God. Eternal life is a gift of God. It's a gift. We get it. Excellent. It is not an offer needing to be accepted or received. It is a gift. God gave his elect to Jesus Christ by covenant before the world began. Where do we go? Ephesians 1.4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Uh, I'm, I'm fully to be blamed. I've earned the wages of eternal death. But Jesus Christ has taken away all blame and made us holy by God's choice of us in Him before the foundation of the world. Amen. Ephesians 1.4 We could go there and take the next 15 minutes on Ephesians 1.3-14 and it would be time well spent, but it's been spent before, so it's time to move to another passage. 2 Timothy 1.9 Paul wrote Timothy, who hath saved us and called us, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's the Word of God. You are not here by accident. You are here by the purpose of God. God is the potter and you are the clay. And He will get glory from every single one of us. Either we are going to fall on our knees and repent and believe on Him and live for Him, 
or he will grind us to powder. That's a Bible expression. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Proverbs 16, 4. Look over just a couple of pages to John chapter 10. We're looking at the fact that eternal life is a gift of God. God gave his elect to Christ. Because it says, all that the Father hath given me. So we're looking at that fact right now. John chapter 10, verse 29. My Father, which gave them me. John 10 is all about the good shepherd and the sheep of Jesus Christ. In the great day of judgment, there's sheep on the right hand who are the sons of God. There's goats on the left hand who are the sons of perdition, the sons of judgment that are on their way to hell. Verse 29, my father, which gave them me. There's election again without the word election, without the word predestination, without the word choice or chosen. But look what it says. My father, which gave them me. So God gave a plural number of people to Jesus Christ. Do you see that? I hope you do. My father, which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. But then we back up. And I give unto them eternal life. There's another gift. Look, there's the gift in verse 29 of God giving them to Christ. Verse 28, Christ giving them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them, all of them, those that the Father gave him, out of my hand. We're in the hand of Christ, and Christ is in the hand of God, and there is no way for us to ever be lost. Colossians chapter 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We are dead to this world. We have been adopted as the sons of God. We're only strangers and pilgrims passing through this place. We have been adopted, we're the sons of God, and our life, our real life, our eternal life, our existence forever is all hid in Christ, in God. Just as it is here. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is the general rule of the gospel. All of God's elect hear the gospel, believe and follow, to varying degrees, of course. Verse 26, that is the general rule. We know the exceptions. Exceptions do not alter general rules, and fussing with exceptions every time you mention a general rule is to destroy the value, power, and weight of the general rule. Unless there's a necessity for it. And there has been at other times, but not now. Verse 26, but ye believe not. This is the same way that Jesus spoke in John 6, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep as I said unto you. Men do not believe to become sheep. Men believe because they are sheep. We must always remember that order. But this 26th verse tells us, but ye, referring to his audience of enemies of the Jews, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No man shall pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Do you see the progression all the way back to election? You don't believe because you're not elect. And that's exactly what he's teaching in John 6. He has been cutting off and checking and rebuking this crowd that is seeking him for the bread that he fed them with. 
And he's going to correct them now with some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Right. And, and we can look at them and use them and love them as we have in the past. And yet now we understand the context a little bit better as to why he said these things. Jesus Christ is going to say when he stands before God in the great day of judgment, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. There's that gift again. It's throughout the Bible. He's not going to lose a single one. Father, here's everyone you gave me. You wrote them down in the book of life. You engraved them on the palms of my hands. You wrote them in my heart. And I came and did your will for them. Here, here they all are. Look at them all. Father, that is the gospel. Amen. Do, you know, do you know the stories that we've heard about Jesus weeping over the banister of heaven about the ones that he lost? That he tried to save? He didn't try to save anyone. Right. He saved everyone Amen. that was given to him to save. Amen. God gave his son Jesus Christ to die in their place for their sins. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church. Oh, another gift. Do we have another gift? And gave himself for it. Yes, Jesus gave himself for the church. The church is the body of Christ. The general assembly of the firstborn. God gave eternal life in legal justification and vital regeneration. And he will yet give us our eternal inheritance as we read right here. We have a second Adam that has obeyed for us. That brings to us righteousness and justification and redemption by his single obedience. Just as Adam condemned us to death. Why are you going to die? Is it because evolution didn't figure it out? Why are you going to die? Because of Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 5. By the representation of Adam, by the imputation of his disobedience, his sin, to your account, so that we're all guilty before God. But God raised up the Lord Jesus Christ, gave us to him, and gave Christ for us as the second Adam. And as the second Adam, he obeyed his father and secured for us everlasting righteousness. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Romans 5.19. That is the word of God. I love Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, meaning all that are called according to his purpose, verse 28, all that he loves, verse 28, all that love him, verse 28, all that he loves, 38 and 39, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up. What's another G word that could replace delivered him up? Gave him. He that spared not, he didn't spare this gift. The dearest thing God had was his son. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up into the hands of Romans and Jews that tortured him, crucified him, and killed him. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Everything that pertains to life and godliness and redemption and eternity and our inheritance is given to us by certainty, by arguing from the greater to the lesser, because if God gave up his son for us, he will certainly give us every other thing because it is lesser than that son. 
and it was secured by that son who is the surety of his people. John 6. There is not a remote chance. Even one of God's elect will die without salvation, for all shall be saved. If God offered salvation, all would reject it. Psalm 14. John 5, 39. Since it's close, we can turn more easily and quickly. John 5, 39. Jesus told the Jews, his enemies, while he was on trial, search the scriptures, in verse 39, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. It's just an absolute rule that they were not going to come just like 44 has a rule. No man can come except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Everyone that God draws, regenerates, and gives vitality to as a child of God, Jesus will raise them up at the last day. If God offered it, Romans 3 says, there's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So what good would it do if he offered eternal life? Here's eternal life. Come and get it. Okay, the story that we've heard so many times, some of us old guys. The preacher takes off his watch, his gold watch, but it's pro- I hope it wasn't gold-plated. <laughs> the preacher takes off his gold watch and says, this is the gift of eternal life. This is just like how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If there's anybody in here that would like this watch, just come up and get it. And you know, everybody sits there because they're afraid in a crowd environment like this, and so no one comes. I don't, I don't mean it. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> He meant it. Oh, yeah, we've got folks. Some of us older ones in here have heard this one so many times, it's just too worn. If you want eternal life, this is how simple it is. Just come up and get it. Does John 6 allow that? It says no man can come. Does Romans chapter 3 allow it? There is none that understandeth. There's no one that would even recognize what a gold watch was if it was offered to them. Because they can't think spiritually. Can this crowd think spiritually? How many times is he going to tell them that he's the bread come down from heaven? Will they know it at the end? No. Do you know what he's going to say to them at the end? Okay, since you can't get the fact that I came down from heaven, what if I was to ascend back to heaven right now in front of you? Would it do any good? This is verses 62 through 65. He said it wouldn't do one bit of good because the things that I'm saying unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That means they are spiritual and they involve eternal life and you don't have either, so you can't recognize what I'm saying. And that is why I said to you in 44, no man can come to me or believe what I'm saying except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And 65 repeats 44 because he points out you wouldn't get the fact that I said I am the bread of heaven which came down from heaven. If I were to ascend and levitate right now out of your sight back into heaven, you still wouldn't believe because it takes spiritual life to believe so no one would so when we offer eternal life no one would be saved you say but people do go forward and accept jesus as their personal savior there's only two possibilities in each case one they're liars because they went forward for their girlfriend two they were already born again and they're just being misled by that false teacher that's the only two options Because no man can come in any true saving, by evidence, way without God's regenerating work. If God offered it, no one could take it, as these verses here teach. Look at John 8. 
John 8, John chapter 8 and verse 43. These chapters of John are unbelievable. They're They're so consistent about the depravity of man and how Jesus Christ deals with those that were not born again. Look at verse 43. In the middle of Jesus trying to explain things to them, why do ye not understand my speech? Why do ye not understand my speech? What he said here is not complicated. Even because ye cannot hear my word. You can't hear my word because my word is spirit and my word is life. We are talking about spiritual truth and eternal life, and you can't hear it because you have neither. He says in verse 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. God must make us his before we can hear the words of Christ and believe them. And if he does not do that, we cannot hear anything. We will leave this assembly and just go out of here and live the rest of the day like we lived yesterday and a day a thousand days ago without the restraining, regenerating, quickening, changing power of Jesus Christ in our lives. A gospel with only an offer requiring conditions from you is condemnation. That is a condemning gospel. There's no hope in it. There's no help in it. Our gospel is that he changes men and he calls them and he chooses them so that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that preaching that is offensive to the Jews because it doesn't involve signs and that preaching which is offensive to the Greeks because it's just not quite wise enough for them saves some Jews and some Greeks because they believe it and see in the message of the gospel the power and the wisdom of God. It's his work. A gospel that only offers eternal life is condemning and would save no one because no one would take it, no one could take it based on the testimony of Scripture and based on the preaching ministry of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus preaching in John 5. Ye will not come. This is Jesus preaching in John 6. No man can come. This is Jesus preaching in John 8. Why do ye not understand my speech? Is it fair to say that Jesus was probably the best preacher? But it didn't work. Because even Jesus preaching and even the Holy Spirit bearing witness does not convince a natural man of the wisdom of spiritual truth. He must must be made spiritual first. For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But as many as received him, someone wants to tell us about. Have we already covered that verse? It's John 1.12. But as many as received him, as many as received him, even to them that believe, present tense on his name, verse 13 finishes the sentence, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And what is it of God? The wisdom and the will and the power of God. It's not the will of the flesh. It's not the will of someone else. It's the will of God. It's his power and it's his wisdom. There's no offer dependent on sinners fulfilling any terms in order to be saved. Jesus offered himself. He did. So we should look it up. Hebrews 9. Let's look up Jesus offering himself. In Hebrews chapter 9. Here we go. Jesus offered himself. A gift is not an offer. When did he offer himself? And to whom did he offer himself? Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit 
offered himself without spot to God. Jesus offered himself to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If he had offered himself to us, what would we have done? Crucified him just like our friends did 2,000 years ago. Those just like us, our cousins, 2,000 years ago. But he offered himself to God. Was his offering accepted? Indeed it was. But let's not get to that quite yet. Look at Ephesians 5.2. Ephesians 5.2. And walk in love. That's our practical duty is, dear children of God, verse 1. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. How did Jesus give himself for us? How did he gain and secure and buy and purchase eternal redemption? By offering himself to God, and God accepted his offering. There's other places in Hebrews 9 and 10 that we could go to, but I am not going to for time's sake. If anything is offered, it's only practical benefits for life now. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, there's an offer. If, if, if you do this and do that, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. That's a practical benefit of fellowship with the God that saved us and the Christ that redeemed us. It's not an offer of eternal life or of salvation. It's one of practical fellowship. The acceptance in salvation is God accepting us. Do you remember the difference in verb forms? There's a passive voice verb, meaning that the subject is acting on an object, and there is, I meant a passive voice verb, is the object is being acted upon by the subject, and an active voice verb is the subject acting upon the object. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 to see the difference in one verse where Paul explains this little rule of grammar. I ate the sandwich. I was eaten like a sandwich. Are those the same things? No, I ate the sandwich. I, the subject, am acting upon the sandwich. I ate it. But when I was eaten like a sandwich, then someone else is doing the eating, and I happen to be the sandwich, or like a sandwich. It's an active verb or it's a passive verb. Galatians 4.9, look at Paul, make the distinction of active and passive voices in verbs. But now, after that ye have known God, ye have known God. That is the Galatians being active in knowing God. Or rather, are known of God. That's the Galatians being known by God. God's doing the knowing in the second clause here instead of the Galatians. It's a great example in the Bible of active and passive voice verbs instead of eating and sandwiches. How turn ye again if you have been known of God? Because the more important thing is that God knows us, not that we know God. When you get to heaven, it's not going to matter whether you know God. Do you know how many people are going to know God when they get there and he's not going to know them? That's his rule for us from Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord! Have I not prophesied in thy name? Lord, I know you. Lord, I did many wonderful works in your name. Lord, what's going on here? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. 
He has known us with an everlasting knowledge and has loved us with an everlasting love. We shall never be lost. We're in the book of life. We're engraved on his hands. We're in his heart. Do you understand the tremendous difference between how much he knows us and how little he knows them? I never knew you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. You're very close if you're still at Galatians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 1. When you get to heaven, it's not going to matter whether you accepted God or accepted Jesus. What's going to matter is whether God accepted Jesus for you. Right. That is all the difference. And it's a huge difference. And it tells us that right here. We're in the middle of a long sentence that begins at verse 3. Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse, four, verse 3 tells us all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus for us. Verse 4, God's chosen us. I've already used it. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of the crying sinner's will. No, no sinner would cry unless God's will had already operated on their behalf. The good pleasure of his will. Look at this verse. To the praise of the glory of his grace, not to the praise of the goodness of the soul winner, but to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. God's made us accepted in his son because his son is perfectly acceptable to him. And God has accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ once for all, for all our sins and for all of his elect. Fantastic verses. We've taught them before, but today is to remember the old, old story and to rejoice whether you're old or young. We need our children to hear these things. We need to hear these things of the truth be told. These things restore to us the joy of our salvation. And the joy of our salvation is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Duty is not strength. Duty is debilitating. The joy of the Lord is strength. Lord, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. I'm going so slow, Lord, I won't make much progress. But I don't care because I love these verses in John 6. Help us to understand them. Help these people to understand them. The Bible says that when Jesus hung on the cross, he shall see of the travail of his soul. Who shall see? It's a singular he. It is God, his Father, who is pleased to bruise him. He shall see of the travail of his soul. Do you know the next words? And shall be satisfied. It is the doctrine of satisfaction. When we get to heaven, we need God satisfied on our behalf. Is he satisfied? Yes. He saw the travail of Jesus Christ's soul. He did not see our tears. He did not hear just as I am being played for the 15th time in an invitational call. He saw the travail of his son, Jesus Christ, and was satisfied. Chris, do you still love that doctrine? Don't forget it. Don't lose it. The world wants to steal it away from us. The devil wants to steal it away. You want me to say it again? He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. It's a wonderful doctrine. That's the satisfaction that counts. We've been made accepted in the beloved. Who is the beloved? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If God's well pleased with him and we're in him, guess what God's relationship is toward you? Do you want to say the words? Well pleased. These are my beloved children in whom I am well pleased. Made so 
by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The king shall greatly desire thy beauty. Psalm 45. That's enough for now. Sorry, one clause. But I'm not very sorry. Amen.